You're listening to WNYU 89.1 FM New York and online everywhere at WNYU.org. The university only seems to pay attention when all eyes are on them. We have been asking university administration for comment. We spoke to two New York City teachers that would run through some of Brooklyn's lowest income areas. Here at New York University, students who continue to fight to hold the university accountable. On WNYU. 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 This is The Rundown. Today is Wednesday, April 7th. I'm your host, Izzy McMahon, and we have a great show for you tonight. To start us off, Aria Young and Nina Huang talk to some NYUers about their COVID experiences so far. Let's take a listen. It has been a year since the COVID-19 pandemic seized ordinary life for everyone. New York's first case of COVID, confirmed on the 1st of March in 2020, set off a surge in infections that would rapidly lead to one of the worst mass fatality incidents in modern history. Practically overnight, the city saw the closure of public spaces, including subway stations, restaurants, shopping centers, schools, and college campuses. On March 9, 2020, New York University announced that all classes should be remotely at their scheduled time beginning on the following Wednesday, March 11, 2020. Having taken more than 2.7 million lives worldwide, the pandemic persists in 2021. Fellow Rundown reporter Aria Young and I spoke with NYU students and professors about when and how the historic pandemic truly hit home for them. Where were you when COVID first hit? I was studying abroad in France. I think they said, book a flight, go home. We're shutting down. (laughs) I was in LA at home. I was a senior in high school. I was like a week away from my spring show. The day that my school closed down, I actually wasn't at school. I didn't really think anything of it at first. I was just like, oh, it'll be a few days and then we'll get back on track. I was in New York and then all of a sudden I booked a flight back to Singapore within 10 hours and had to pack up everything in my dorm. And then I had to do school virtually with a 12-hour time difference, so it was quite rough. I was teaching in liberal studies and living in the 3rd North Residence Hall. The university initially thought that 3rd North could be used as a field hospital, so they relocated us to different NYU residences. What about your favorite quarantine activity? I got Animal Crossing in January. Spending time outside was really, really important to me. Back when I was at Toronto, my favorite quarantine activity was definitely drawing I and painting. At NYU, it was mostly just gaming. <laughs> I tried to keep myself busy by just doing whatever home workout type of thing. Try to be fit, but that definitely didn't carry out for the next 10 months. What has been a challenge in this past year with having to work remotely? I think there's an overall disadvantage for international students, especially some students have up to 13 hours time difference and it's quite hard to participate when it's 3 a.m. and students are sleepy. What's the biggest lesson you've learned? Cherish everything with the people that you love and doing the things that you love because I mean it could be taken away so fast. I have to figure things out on my own because people aren't going to be with me all the time. Staying motivated. You have to like hold yourself accountable. It's about like how you manage like your free time. I lost one friend to the virus. That's going to be hard for the rest of my life. It was a good reminder for me to spend time with myself and be okay spending time with myself. I think that we've learned some wonderful lessons about accessibility. I have to say I do miss having sort of a a room full of people learning new ways to sort of facilitate engagement has been really exciting for all of us international kids we this was 
the time we can maybe reconnect from uh, some of our friends from back home. And we supported each other a whole lot because it was something we were all going through together. But um, we're looking forward to what's to come in the next semester when things might be in person once again. This past year of a global pandemic was a year of hardship, courage, and resilience. We have overcome challenges, endured loss, found strength and solitude, and formed new ways to carry on with our lives. As we finally begin to see a little light at the end of the tunnel, we remember the lessons we have learned and continue to grow and progress as a community. How has COVID changed your life? What are the things you will carry with you even after it's over? You might find surprising growth in yourself as well. For the rundown on WNYU 89.1 FM, this has been Aria Young. And this has been Nina Huang. You may not know, but the mayoral election in NYC is coming up. Rachel Cohen and Kelly Drake have a rundown on the candidates. As the June 22nd primaries for New York City's mayor slowly approach, dozens of candidates have filed their paperwork to run. Bill de Blasio, who has been mayor since 2014, is at the end of a second term and cannot be re-elected again. Yet half of likely Democratic voters remain undecided on who to choose to replace his spot. Kelly Drake and I went around and asked NYU students if they had been following the election and who they are voting for. Have you been following the mayoral race? Not really. No. No, not really. No. Uh, isn't Andrew Yang? Andrew Yang is in it, and is de Blasio up? I haven't really been following the mayoral race super closely, but I do know a few candidates that I've been kind of following. Are you planning on voting? And if yes, who are you voting for? I'm not sure yet, but I am planning on voting. I plan on voting. I need to study who to vote for more. Probably not Yang. That's kind of where I'm at. I guess no, I'm not planning on voting, but maybe I should re-register. But would be Yang, I think. Again, don't know that much about the candidates. I'm not planning to. I would vote if I can, but I don't think I'm a resident. The only person I know is Yang. If I were planning on voting, pretty much a toss-up between Diane Morales and Andrew Yang. The New York Times reported that only two candidates garnered double-digit support. Former 2020 presidential candidate Andrew Yang with 16% and current Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams with 10%. With the candidates finding a way to campaign amid the pandemic, we are here to give a breakdown of notable nominees and their policies. The current frontrunner in the polls, Andrew Yang became well-known across the country for his candidacy in the recent presidential election. Following various television and podcast appearances, Yang attracted a large online following, who refer to themselves as the Yang Gang. Amidst the attention he was attracting online, Yang also found himself with support from some prominent alt-right figures and groups, though he dismissed their support pretty quickly. Some of his more notable platforms in the presidential race included a proposal for a form of universal basic income called the Freedom Dividend, as well as support for Medicare for All. Having moved here right after college, Yang says that he's running for mayor because he loves New York City. On his campaign website, he says he, quote, came of age here, fell in love here, and became a father here. Going into this election, Yang maintains his support for establishing a basic income program in the city, as well as creating an accessible healthcare system and addressing the city's housing affordability crisis. Eric Adams, a Democrat Brooklyn native and former NYPD captain, is no stranger to politics. He served as a state senator for Crown Heights for four terms and has been the Brooklyn Borough President since 2013. At 15, he was beaten in a precinct house by police. From then on, he wanted to change the police department from within. As an NYPD officer for 22 years, 
He called out racism in the department and pushed for major reforms. Adams is running as a law enforcement expert during a major spike in gun violence. He is campaigning on the need to further police reform to root out bad cops. However, Adams does oppose defunding the police, but has a plan to alter the responsibilities given to officers with guns. He is promising for the government to be more efficient amid a financial crisis. He hopes to reinvent public health, education, and safety, and he is pro-big business. Whether it's the pandemic or violence in our streets, we don't feel safe. With 14 years of government experience, Catherine Garcia is a Democratic candidate who has ties to Mayor Bill de Blasio. She was a former commissioner of the Department of Sanitation for six years. During this time, she operated trash pickup, snow removal, and recycling operations for a city of 8.5 million residents and tens of millions of commuters and visitors per year. Garcia also served as Chief Operating Officer at the city's Department of Environmental Protection under former Mayor Michael Bloomberg. During the pandemic, New York City has been facing an estimated 1.4 million people behind on rent and more than 1 million are food insecure. Garcia was appointed a food czar by de Blasio and created an emergency food program that has delivered hundreds of millions of meals to New Yorkers. Garcia is focused on delivering basic city services to tackle the core issues of residents. On the Republican side, there are very few candidates entering the race, and that's likely because nearly two-thirds of registered voters in the city are Democrats. Among the Republicans that have entered the election, the most well-known candidate is Curtis Silva. Silva was the founder of the crime prevention group The Guardian Angels. Known for their red berets, The Guardian Angels formed in the 1970s to patrol the city's subways amidst rising crime rates. Seen as a threat by some public officials, the group was initially denounced as vigilantes. Over the years, that direct political criticism has faded, though some have voiced concerns. In February of this year, a video circulated online of Guardian Angels harassing protesters on the subway returning from a Stonewall march. Beyond leading the Guardian Angels, Silva himself also has a reputation for creating controversy. He worked on air as a political commentator on TV for New York One, but was suspended in 2015 for making racist and sexist remarks about a city council member. More recently, he's taken a strong and public stance against Mayor de Blasio, last year stating that as mayor, he would seek to criminally prosecute both de Blasio and his wife. It's still early in the race, and beyond the few we've mentioned here, a slew of people have come out to toss their hat in the ring for this mayoral election. Among them are a bodybuilder and health entrepreneur, various artists and musicians, and even one of Bravo's Real Housewives of New York City. As the race progresses, many will likely drop out and the frontrunners will become more apparent. The Democratic and Republican primaries take place on June 22nd, followed by a general election on November 2nd. To find out more about voter registration, voting protocol, and important dates, go to vote.nyc. For The Rundown, I'm Kelly Drake. And I'm Rachel Cohen. Losing your smell because of COVID-19 is temporary, but what if not being able to smell is your normal? Grace Wanabo has more on the story. When you ask someone what their earliest memory of smell is, they might recall something from their childhood, the smell of Christmas, the scent of Play-Doh or crayons, and if you ask me, my mind draws a blank. I was born without a sense of smell. It's a rare condition called congenital anosmia, which was a total anomaly before the pandemic, 
and all of a sudden... Just overnight, uh, Erica, what's called anosmia, which basically means loss of smell, uh, seems to be another uh, symptom that, that many of these patients often develop. They don't know if it's related to the upper respiratory uh, virus part of this or, or what. I can't remember when I lost my sense of smell because I never had it, but Anne Heloise Dotel remembers exactly when she lost hers. She's a French designer working in London. I'm a visual artist and architect in a experiential design and food company. Anne tested positive for COVID in November after her boyfriend caught it. She had no breathing issues at first, but she said the virus went straight to her head. I never took acid in my life, but I think that's pretty what acid would do to me. I could barely remember my name. It was madness. She remembers going for a smoke. Probably the worst thing to do uh, when you have COVID. All my nose, the ins like the back of my nose, and it felt like really, really cold. So it felt like this. It felt like it was so cold that it was burning everything. It was a cigarette she won't forget. It just felt like it was my soul <laughs> leaving because I could feel so it was my cigarette, you know, with the smoke. I was like, oh my God, my taste and my smell are going away. And then at the end of my cigarette, gone. I had no taste, no smell. It's the onset of the virus going up into the nose, causing the inflammation and infecting into the nerve. That's Dr. Eric Voigt, a head and neck surgeon at NYU Langone Medical Center. So it occurs as an early symptom of COVID infection. And the majority of people recover. Like most people, Anne started to recover, getting whiffs of smells and slowly regaining her taste. This is going to be difficult to going back to the kitchen and to the office. But for someone like me and French, food is so important. Oh, I, I just feel so bad for my parents because they really did train me to only like good food, like simple products, but good ones. As she started to recover, her condition also turned into something called paranosmia. I, I was having like rice salad with tuna and I literally broke down. <laughs> Fall of my salad because <laughs> I was I just realized that everything tasted moldy and I thought there was I was going crazy because I didn't know what parosmia was I didn't know it existed and paranosmia took a physical toll on her I'm losing so much weight I lost like nearly a stone in one month well sadly I'm gonna have to start medication because I'm having anxiety and everything anxiety and depression. Anne's first instinct is to hide away from these bad smells and to avoid them at all costs. I've been forbidding uh, my boyfriend to cook any food. <laughs> he made the biggest mistake like a few days ago. He put like a chicken with garlic and onions in the oven. Oh my god, I thought I was going to die. Now she's trying to take a different approach. This one is cinnamon. This one is eucalyptus and it smelled like petrol to me. In jars that look like lip balm kits are the scents of things like fruits, flowers, and spices, but they don't smell all that pleasant to Anne. Someone told me actually, I know it's hard, but try to not avoid the bad smells too much. Because if you do avoid them for too long, they're gonna stay with you forever, basically. So, twice a day, she smells each jar for 15 seconds. So I just need to slowly train my brain to smell them again, you know, and to just try to tell my brain, don't worry, it's okay, it's safe, it's safe food. For WNYU, I'm Grace Wanabo. This spring weather in New York is giving us hope that things are returning to normal. Christina De La Puerta, Perry Gregory, and Nia Watson caught up with some park goers who were out and about this weekend. 
On the first warm day in New York, an almost forgotten light touches the cheekbones of each upturned face. The annual arrival of this day is marked by an unexpectedness, regardless of the weather app's anticipations and a sense of disbelief that the sun is more than a conspiratorial myth peddled by West Coast transplants to embitter locals. Over Avenue A, pedestrians form currents along the uneven asphalt where you walk to get coffee. That was On the First Warm Day by Arahi Fletcher. To truly experience spring in New York City, we visited Bryant, Prospect, and Washington Square Park. And what brings you guys to the park today? So we don't really see each other at school. Some of us are remote and some of us are in person. We linked up and spent some time together today. Playing, playing Frisbee? Uh, I'm busy. He lives here, and I'm, uh, I'm coming to visit him. It's a beautiful day, so we figured we might as well hang out. I'm here to visit my old friend Maddie, um, who we hung out a lot last year, and I don't know if I can say this. She showed me a lot of like the bar scenes and how to balance working, school, and partying all at the same time. So, what are the first signs of spring in New York City? The sun. Yeah. The random bits of rain. On my window in my room, there's a vine that goes across it, and this week. Little buds started peeking on the vine, and I was like, it's spring! It's getting warm! Um, you can definitely like feel it in the air, even before there's like a breeze or anything. It just, I feel like we maybe like can feel like po human pollen. Um, the fashion. <laughs> the fashion changes so drastically from winter to spring. I feel like you start to see like the layers change, like not everyone's wearing those long coats to cover up everything, but they wear like those cute like short jackets, like that are puffer looking jackets. Um, I feel like that's usually my first sign. Um, on my street there's a magnolia tree and like it always, I used to have one in my backyard and the one on my street always bloomed like a few weeks before the one in my backyard and so it's always nice to see like the white and pink flowers. Is there anything in particular you're like excited to do now that things are warming up? Sit in the park a lot. <laughs> Be outside, hang out with people, uh, like just grow, sort of just grow. How are you just feeling this spring versus a year ago? There's a lot more excitement in the air. I feel like I literally feel like, I feel like a tree, like that's about to have leaves come out. I would say a year ago we were at the like hardcore lockdown, so I was in North Carolina and yeah, I was still appreciating the weather, but um, definitely a different vibe. Honestly, I was dreading it at first because I thought it was going to look super dead, but this is like my first time in the park now that it's spring and it looks so alive. Like we are just talking about how it looks like it did when we were here literally last spring hanging out. Are you guys vaccinated? I'm half vaccinated. I got my second vaccine in two weeks. Half. Half vaccinated. Starting April 6, I will sign up for my appointment. And how are you feeling now, just like about the future? Good. I I, I feel like we're going to have another Roaring Twenties, and I'm in my Twenties, so I'm excited to experience that. We both, we both just got vaccinated a few weeks ago. Amazing. And so we were just talking about how we think, like, by the summer, things should be good. And, like, we're both seniors in high school, and so next year we're starting college, and we're, like, excited to spend our last summer, like, semi-normally, and then start college in like a normal way. I'm like scared but excited. Totally. Like, yeah, a balance of hopeful for me and also very nervous. According to the city government's vaccine tracker, 37% of adults have gotten at least one dose of the vaccine. As of April 6th, anyone over the age of 16 can schedule an appointment. For the rundown, this has been Nia Watson. Christina de la Puerta. 
and Perry Gregory. That's all for tonight. You can find more campus news at nyulocal.com. Next up are WNYU podcasts. Thank you for tuning into The Rundown 89.1 FM. I'm your host, Izzy McMahon, and tune into The Rundown next week for more campus news.